HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, December 12th. 2023. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio. It's our last episode of the season for 2023, and we come back in January. It will be our 15th year on Heritage Radio Network. The theme of this show is my favorite beer list of 2023, Why Craft Malt is Sexy. Um, let's go around the room, and, and everyone's going to introduce themselves. Start with Todd. Hi, I'm Todd Mott. I'm with Tributary Brewing Company in Kittery, Maine. And our flagship beer is a pale ale that we brew with predominantly blue ox, pale malt, floor malts of pale barley. Great. Joel? Yeah, my name is Joel Alex. Um, I'm here with Blue Ox Malt House. Um, we are, um, we were and soon will be again North America's largest floor malting facility, uh, traditional floor malting facility, but um right here in Lisbon, Maine. Congratulations. And Tyler? Hey, I'm Tyler Fitzpatrick. I'm with Lamplighter Brewing Company in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, last year, we about sourced about half of our malt from Blue Ox Malt House, uh, grown and malted in New England and Maine. Um, and we're pretty proud of that fact. That's great, man. And Ian? Uh, hi, my name's uh, Ian Goering, and I'm with Blue Ox Malt House. All right, so... Um, we all know each other from different different parts of the beer industry, but a year ago, earlier this year, March of 2023, um, Joel, you guys brought together a really cool beer list. Uh, it was the Craft Malt Conference in Portland, Maine, long awaited, and um, you know many of our favorite many of our favorite beer bars uh, places was Navarre. Right? Um, we want to talk about that a little bit, and then we'll also talk with each of you about. The role of craft malt in your in your brewing and the beers that we actually actually 
drank that night. And why I wanted to talk about this is that, you know, the last couple of years, we've done some great shows with a lot of the, the, the Craft Malt crew, talking from science and, and agriculture and, and everything else. But when we were at Novari Res, with all the beers that you guys assembled from the Northwoods, um, you know, the Lamplighter, the, the, the Tributary, the bell, the Bellflower, this was sexy beer. This was beer that, that tasted good and I wanted to drink. And my, my highlight of the whole Craft Malt Conference was for three days, I just kept going back to Navari Res for that beer list. So this is what makes people get out of their house and, and go to a good bar, go to a brewery and drink and be on premise. And, and this was just amazing. And I, I want to tell everyone why these beers were so good, what, what goes into it. And, and Joel, why don't you give us the intro about why this was important to, to assemble this list of beers for the Craft Malt Conference. Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I think we're definitely lucky that um, in the last 10 years, this, this, this craft, this last craft beer conference was 10 years that we've had the North American Craft Maltsters Guild. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's getting more common to find beer, at least in our area up here in the Northeast, um, with craft malt in it. But what was really awesome about the Nuvari Res um, Gulox Malt House welcome uh, event was we just had a lot of beers that were really highlighting what craft malt can be um, and what flavors and styles um it can support all in one place um and and you just sort of just said that so i'm kind of just repeating it but it was just really awesome to be able to bring together a bunch of beers um uh and that yeah that just highlighted malt from specifically we were focusing on the northeast so most of the beers um included malt from us, but we also had some of the other craft maltsters represented, Valley Malt down in Massachusetts, um, Buck Farms up in Napleton. Um, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was a great, great event um, and really just important to showcase what we can do here. Yeah, no, and it, it was a delicious day too. When I went in, my first my first beer I saw it was Bellflower Brewing. Had a, It's called Weathered Rake. It was a Vienna lager. And, and at first I thought, wow, I, I want a Vienna lager. I want a dark, dark lager. I had a Northwoods. It was uh, the Ox on Ice, a, a Dunkel lager. Those are my first two beers. And then and then that afternoon, uh, John Hall of All About Beer walked in. And, you know, he's Mr. Rauk Beer. He, he ordered the, the Norway Old Time Smokehouse. And for, for us who like beer styles, you know, this was the party. This was pretty awesome. Um, you know, let, let's get let's get. Uh, Todd in and Tyler and you guys talk about your relationship with Blue Ox and you know how long you've been working with Craft Malt but also like how you work that into your operations your brew day um, as, as well as like what why do you use Craft Malt because I know Matt I mean Todd you you serve the tributary your, your your pale ale flagship which is one of my favorite go-to beers I didn't know that, that you were using Craft uh, Malt all that time yeah, well, so you know, the thing is, is being a small brewery, you uh, are a community-based brewery, and being a community-based brewery kind of enables you to utilize local ingredients, and when available, that's what you want to do. 
And, you know, you can use the big malting companies and save some money. But we found that, you know, the, the quality um, and the, the taste is what it really comes down to. And, you know, when you have a floor malted barley, uh, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Joel, it's the Newdale. Um, yep, you're not wrong. You are correct. It just, it makes for a very lovely uh, base malt that has uh, biscuity characters to it um, and just true, true malt flavor. And we decided that, you know, it's our flagship. Let's run with it. And so uh, Ed, I, I, I thought we started back in 14, but Joel was saying, no, I believe it was 16. <laughs> so, and, uh, and, and we've, we've, um, we've been working with them for, you know, a bunch of years now. So seven years. And uh, it's really remarkable to see their expansion. Uh, Ian sent me some pictures today of silos going on on the pads, and it was really cool because you know this expansion is really happening, and uh, that just makes me happy because um, we're we're going to see some different malts from uh, from Joel and uh, the the Blue Ox Company, which will be really really interesting to see where they go. Hey Todd, for, yeah. for you as a as a longtime brewer, how has the the evolution of craft malt been for you. I remember 10 years ago, we did an event in New York with some, some craft malt and a lot of the brewers, whether it was their equipment or their, they weren't used to dealing with, you know, d different. Malt. It can be a little prohibitive if, you know, the malt is under modified, but these days, man, these guys are doing such an amazing job. They've got the science end of it like under control. And that is, uh, you know, that's half the battle is how well the malt is modified. Um, you can get, you, I mean, it's amazing. We got some chit malt from, uh, from Blue Ox that we threw into our Pilsner and it just absolutely creates beautiful head retention. But, but we're also doing, you know, we're doing cold fermentations and we're spunding, uh, which means we ferment under pressure. And uh, we're doing it kind of the old old fashioned way. And, uh, you know, if, if we had the capacity to do decoction, we'd ask for under -malt modified malts so that we would have to actually utilize the decoction method. And there are there are those brewers that are still using fairly modified malts using decoction uh, to get a, a very unique character. It's the melanoids that you get off of the decoction. And it's a flavor profile that you can't do with a stepped mash. And that's what we've been kind of doing is we, we have the capacity to do stepped mashes, but we just can't actually decoct. So, um, ah, you know. You use, you utilize what equipment you have and you communicate with your maltsters. And so we're, we're very lucky to have Blue Ox right here. Um, you know, uh, Main Malt House um, is doing some good malt as well. Um, I don't know if there's any other maltsters here in Maine. Um, Valley is doing a really great job. Andrew and Kristen are awesome, awesome maltsters. Um, they just, they, they need us to buy, they, well, I won't even go there, but they, they really would much more prefer to have us buy 500 pounds of malt at a time rather than, you know, a hundred pounds of malt, of which we were using 25 pounds in our pail. 
And uh, so we're, uh, we're kind of cheating uh, using a different biscuit malt, but we're looking to Joel and Ian to kind of help us out with some biscuit malt. Yeah, we're working on it. Uh, we're, we're adding some adding some new capacity. It'll be good. We'll, we'll get you there. Looking forward. Well, Joel, tell us a little bit more about the expansion. I mean, I, I actually first talked to you guys at Blue Ox three years ago when when I first met Tyler as well. So it kind of goes hand in hand that, that you guys have been working together. Yeah. Um, well, we we've sort of uh, been gently pushing up against our capacity for a few years now um, and really know that we hadn't, have not really tapped the potential for what craft malt can be in our region, um, including the farms that want to produce for us, the products we can produce, um, and our existing system has has produced super well from us. We've really honed in floor malting, which, you know, early on, we definitely had some, I don't know, concern, I'd say, about the consistency you can get out of floor malting. But whatever method you use for malting, just like brewing, it's all about having control over... Um, really in malting it's it's after grain selection which is the most important part it's all um temperature and moisture you're either trying to add it or reduce it and whether it's floor malting or pneumatic malting you can really um if you don't have those controls you can't produce something consistently and we've designed our floor malting with that in mind um and we interact with the malt every day it's it's literally you know touched by hands, raked by hand every day, and we knew what we're doing. So we've actually, we're expanding um, and we're adding um, an additional, you know, three and a half times more capacity than what we can currently do today with our existing system. Um, and we're sticking with floor malting. So we, you know, we've, we're really happy with what we're doing. We're, we're sticking with floor malting. Our existing system is going to allow us to play around a lot more with some of the things that, Todd was mentioning we're going to be able to play with new products because um, we'll have some freed up production space. We've added um, a roaster as well, which when that's up and running is going to allow us to really play around with products. It's and, and it's not even just the new products we can produce for breweries. That's really exciting for me. It's also, this is going to allow us to work with more farms. Blue Ox Maltos has, has always been about trying to connect people with their food and the food systems. And I think people don't think about beer as food, um, but they should. It's it's an integral part of food and food systems. Um, and farms that are producing grain for us and are growing grain for us are also growing grain for, you know, milling for, for bread or for oatmeal, or um, they're rotating it with potatoes for French fries or uh, broccoli. So, you know, it's it's all part of the food system. And um, what this expansion is actually allowing us to do, funnily enough, is actually work with smaller farms <laughs> and larger farms and, and play around with more varieties, play around with more styles. It's going to be really fun. Wow, that, that's a great intro, Joel. And 
Tyler, with you, like again, I said you you first introduced me to Buhawk's Malt three years ago. Talk, talk about Lamplighter and uh, the beers that you made that night, the made the beers you served and all that. Yeah, <clears throat> we uh, I don't know when it was, maybe three years ago or so, maybe four. I'm not sure um, that we first got introduced to Buhawk's, but um, immediately I was just kind of blown away by the quality and the fact that, like Joel said, they're four malting which is just a wonderful hands-on uh, old technique um, that just leads to really flavorful malt. Um, so, you know, not only quality and consistency and flavor just uh, really grabbed me at first, but, you know, this stuff is grown in, in Maine. We're supporting New England farmers and keeping our dollar in New England. And I think early on, we we just started by new beers or one-off beers. We would design around Blue Ox's malt. Um, and then as the years went by, we started uh, converting some of our core brands to be uh, mostly, if not all, Blue Ox products. Um, so uh, we just started using it here and there and really love the flavor profile, whether it's in you know a big hoppy beer or whether it's in a clean uh, traditional style lager. Uh, the malt is just really wonderful. And it just you know, not only is it a shorter supply chain and better carbon footprint, but like I said, we're, you know, supporting a New England economy and it's like uh, any food product, you, the fresher it is, the better it's going to taste. So compared to uh, some of these German malts shipped over and um, not saying that they're bad quality, they're great quality, but the freshness factor that you get with Blue Ox is uh, unmatchable. I mean, it's right in our backyard. So um Tyler, you know, we, go, th we, go through a couple of the the beers that you're using the blue ox malt in and tell me what malt you're using and you know what what it's doing for them so i think one of your stouts do, do you use blue ox malt in one of your stouts yeah we well we do um uh, we just recently brewed a dunkel lager uh that we use uh blue ox um you know, their uh, munich malt um <clears throat> we just did a uh, collaboration with uh, Remnant Brewing in Somerville. Uh, we brewed, uh, we kind of jokingly called it a session Baltic Porter, um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, it, I think we're going to brand it like a chocolate lager instead. But um, that was kind of huh. a, the idea that got us started. Um, but we used a bunch of their uh, uh, Munich malts and some the Vienna malt. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, our water profile in Cambridge leads us to produce wonderful hop, uh, flavorful, malty beer. Um, and so whenever we use uh, these fresh, dark or flavorful biscuity malts, it just really shines. Uh, the beer that we sent up to uh, the craft uh, uh, malt conference and Navarra Res, which uh, we were all very proud of, um, and we were ecstatic to see it on tap at Navarra Res because that's, you know, personally, I've always held that bar uh, in such high regard in terms of, you know, if you if you get on tap there, that's a, a sign that your that beer came out really well and you're you're doing a good job. So uh, we brewed a a German style root beer for it. Uh, it's a German red ale or red lager. Um, I believe we branded it as an amber lager, but a uh, traditional style, uh, just, you know, amber color. Uh, we use their Yankee pills uh, uh, as well as uh, half Yankee pills, half the Vienna. 
and some red malts from uh, Germany and uh, North America to kind of get that color and body. A uh, little bit of um, Satz and Hauertau in there to give it that touch of noble hop character, but kept it around 5% and just, you know, let the let the flavor of the malt really shine through everything else, let the yeast get out of the way and really make this beer about the malt profile that uh, made it so wonderful. Oh, man, that's great. Hey, Todd, um, last, yeah, last time I was at Tributary, <laughs> yeah, I'm thirsty too, man. Last time I was at Tributary, um, I... I talked with your son, Woody, and your friend, Horace Thornbush, was there. Um, <laughs> how has he influenced, t- talking about malts, you know, how has he influenced s- some of the beer styles that, that you're making at Tributary? I mean, uh, well, Horst, Horst always um, wants to do a collaboration with us just because he's, he really loves to brew. And if he says, hey, I've got this idea, what do you say we do a, uh, <laughs> a Doppelbach? Like, cool, let's do a doppelback. And then he literally goes beyond all boundaries and <laughs> decides to develop the recipe for us. <laughs> and, nice. uh, but, but, you know, and then he comes and brews with us. Um, he, he, he's an amazing beer scribe and his history of beer is just absolutely phenomenal it blows me away when he can just pull up these little facts and factoids about oh yeah the rot beer you know it's a franconian red lager it's beautiful and oh my god it's just like it's wild but he, um, he talks more than that <laughs> oh oh my god he talks about the historical ramifications and why the you know the dark malts were used and what malts were used and the water con i mean no he is he's he's incredible but we um we've always loved collaborating with Horst and he's 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 quite the uh quite the uh beer enthusiast <laughs> and he's down he's down in Williamsburg now uh Virginia uh with um i guess there's some historical brewery down there that he's playing around with the guys there so you know, they'll be quite amazing when you, when you go into to your brewery, you never know who you're going to run into. I, I was curious though, like because he has a lot of German recipes, does does he usually prefer to use like Weirman, the, the German malts, or, or well, yeah, yeah, of course, of yeah. course, because um, he's got a rapport with the Weirmans. Um, they're they're really great friends, and anytime we can do a beer with them with the Weirman malts. Uh, he'll write a story and it will go into the um, New Brewer magazine. You know, he'll give you specs, he'll give you the recipe, he'll do everything. But he also gives the Vireman's credit. So, you know, they get um, notoriety on the malts and stuff. What's really incredible is Ian came down and brewed with us about two weeks ago. We brewed a Vienna lager, Vienna style lager, and we used the Vienna. Um, and a couple of environment malts. Um, but most, actually, I think most of it was Blue Ox. Um, and it has just, it, it's been performing really beautifully. It's uh, just, we just capped it today. I think it's at 2.9 total finishing gravity. Started at 12.4, I think. And uh, so, you know, it's going to be a 6% beer, 5 Five and a half percent beer, and um, 
it's just showing really beautiful flavor profiles. And th this is all, you know, Joel's um, malting process. And uh, we've done we've done strictly Weirman, um Vienna style lagers. And now we've done our first uh, New England style Vienna, log uh, Vienna lager. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how um, everybody takes it. Um, the yeast is that typical 3470 um, lager yeast fermented 48 degrees. It blows sulfur like you wouldn't believe. Place smells like a fart factory for a little while, <laughs> but uh, we um, we thoroughly appreciate that yeast because it just it just is such beautiful yeast strain. And you know there are a lot of people that poo poo the fermented yeast, but man, they're easy. They're really really consistent and. Uh, the, well, we'll see. The beer is coming out. It's got it's got another four or six weeks of lagering to deal with. So we'll uh, we'll we'll continue this conversation in four to six weeks. Oh, that's great! All right, and invite me down to uh, one of your Kayleys. I'll bring my fiddle and I'm try, coming up. try the lager. Yeah. You know what, Todd? We should you should have a little launch party. That would be fun. Okay, get, I will. Maybe, we'll work on that. You get Joel with his yeah. fiddle, and I'll come up and. Uh, uh, I'd be up there. And now you got an, and Joel Ian's there too. So Ian, it seems like you go around to these breweries and uh, make a lot of fun with them. Yeah, I've kind of got the uh, sweet spot in beer industry jobs. Um, I worked for Todd for many, many years, and he was my mentor and, and teacher in the industry. And uh, that was where I first got introduced to working with Blue Ox and met Joel. And um, now Joel basically wants me to go around and play nice with all the brewers, which is <laughs> not a hard thing to do. Oh, man. I lucked out with Ian because, I mean, not only does he just have a great training having worked, you know, with, with Todd and then um, for so long, and then Todd sent him out in the world and actually <laughs> I mean Ian knows more about beer than I will ever know um, or probably could ever know because Ian is um, I think you know like like me but in different ways uh, he's constantly learning and he's so intellectually engaged so anyway he's he's always learning about beer which means that I could never catch up with him. it's already way <laughs> so, so Ian what, what what's your vision like when you go you go to see Todd or when you go see Jeff at Northwoods what what, 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 how about this particular malt and a beer that you guys talked about? You know, do, do you assist them with the recipe development? What, what, what's your role um, as the malt? Yeah, so both Northwoods and Tributary both have uh, recipes that I helped write. Um, Todd having a very heavy hand in that. And uh, everybody knows me as a real German focused loggerhead. So usually the conversation turns to real crisp, clean, traditional German brewing practices pretty much everywhere I go. Um, it's kind of my bread and butter. Um, when I go to Tributary or Northwoods in particular, they usually hand me a floor squeegee and tell me get to work. <laughs> um, so that's part of your job. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, there to make the customers happy and make good friends. So if that's uh, squeegeeing up their puddles, then that's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you were in Northwoods. What, is there a, like a, just a malt you recommended? Uh, I, I want to hear like how you as the malt rep 
can inf- interact with the brewer other than squeegees and helping them out? Because I know that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. So right now, the product that I'm probably the most excited about is Triticale, uh, which is a blend of rye and wheat that Blue Ox is malting. And it's not a cereal grain that you're typically going to find in any industry. So it's kind of a unique thing that Blue Ox has. Um, It's got a really good graham cracker, sugar cookie flavor to it. And I've been suggesting that we put it in all sorts of beers across the board. Um, I get to bring samples of malt with me when I talk to brewers. And it's been really fun munching on particularly the Triticale with um, the brewers and just brainstorming what beers in styles we think it could go into. Um, recently, a very small brewery in New Hampshire brewed a Triticale wine uh, with, with that product, and it was a super fun uh, brew day to check in on and, and see how that was going. Uh, it'll probably be a year before we get to try that beer, but we're real excited for it. You know, I, I only know, I, I feel like when I've had some some oddball English beers that they might have listed the different a couple different grains. You mentioned Triticale. I know my friends from the old regional grains movement. Um, that was one grain they've been talking about for 15 years. Um, I, I think that grain's sexy, and, and I, I want to taste it. Um, how do you guys feel about the different grains that you can use and the potential um, of different grains for flavor? I Yeah, I mean, I think that – oh, man, I think that that is the opportunity of, of like, craft – malt um we you know we are just like with craft beer you know um craft brewers are creating more styles more flavors um in their beer than than the big macro guys are you know because of their scale because of their communities because they're responding you know to to local tastes and flavors and like we get to do the same thing we get to take what um whatever farmers are growing in our area and try to highlight those in the best way and in the tastiest way possible so um whether it's working with triticale um and and creating some you know delicious milk there working with different varieties of wheat or different varieties of, of rye um we can really um yeah, we can really play around with it and and ideally and hopefully highlight that grain and, and what farmers are doing in our areas in in the most tasty way possible. I mean, I think um, you know, I hadn't I hadn't really vocalized it in this way, but um when I first started working directly with Ian, I think he had a really great um sort of analogy about the creation of culture and i don't know if you want to like jump in it's here I'll, I'll butcher it you can like talk just just how like taking what what you have locally um and you know and i don't know I'm, I'm, I'm butchering it you want to go <laughs> want to like your whole like how do you create culture spiel <laughs> sure so it my mind, culture has always been makers working with what they have. It uh, doesn't matter what you're talking about or which culture you're talking about. It's how they have dealt with the raw materials that they have. 
So when you're using the cereal grains that grow in New England and we're malting them with the techniques and traditions we have and brewers are using those local ingredients and their knowledge and their culture, this is how culture gets made. This is how a New England beer culture is defined. And it's just really cool to see all parts of that and be a part of all of that. And I think most of the brewers in New England and absolutely everybody in this conversation, I would say, feels that way. Absolutely. Yeah. The small, the small craft brewer has that capacity and wherewithal to experiment. You know, big guys just can't experiment the way we do. You know, if, if we want to do a half batch at seven barrels, if it goes south, well, shit, you know, that happens. But man, at least you've taken that risk to make something with something absolutely unique. And, and you know, it's just, it's, it's up to us to really kind of experiment and push what our limits are with what we have or, or don't have. Yeah, that's really uh, yeah, the job of the craft brewer, I'd say, because when you're talking about brewing at scale or, you know, producing a hundred barrel batch, there's so many uh, things that inhibit you from uh, getting creative, not only the risk of taking a new idea and just putting it into that volume and the cost, but, you know, you want to use some unique grain that might cost uh, 20 extra cents per pound. Is someone at that larger brewery might say, we can't do that. That'll put us out of our price point to sell that beer. Um, or just, you know, getting big, unique flavors uh, at that scale, like maybe the fermenter size and shape and the hydrostatic pressure is like, you know, you're dealing with something That's so much eat. larger. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's the crapper's job to kind of be that avenue to do these really unique, flavorful beers. Um and, you know, have some opportunity to take risks and explore uh, products from your backyard. I mean, that, Ian's 100% right. Like, that is how culture and civilization started. And, you know, we kind of got to get back to that in some way as well. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I think just you asked, started asking about, like, the grains and, and how we think about it. I mean, that's, that's the opportunity that craft maltsters, um, whether it's us, you know, with everyone here or wherever your listeners are coming in, whoever their local craft maltster is, you know, that that's the opportunity is we get to, we get to take what we have locally here available to us and, um, and experiment with it and create something new and different, you know, and, you know, as, as we all get a little bit more experienced and, um, you know, they were, were able to learn and, and mostly have successes, but we're able to take those risks, uh, which, which, you know, large, uh, scale industrial malt houses just, just can't, um, can't take. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun to be able to support craft beer, you know, and, and doing that culture creation well, that's great it, it's kind of I, I feel like we it's it's a it's a balance of both too uh you know we're in this globalized world now so it's it's celebrating these these cultures as well as your own and, and defining your own and, uh we we are actually packaging next week a speaking of alternative grains we brewed a millet wine um millet being a, a staple grain in some parts of the world and 
you know, not a traditional brewing grain, but we found a malt house that malts millet and we bought and designed a recipe. Uh, we aged it in barrels for about a year. We used some uh, Tanzanian uh, Miombo honey in it. And we kind of uh, started this idea. One of my uh, suppliers um, uh, who sources honey from around the world, uh, which is a whole nother podcast on itself, the world of honey. But um, we kind of said like, hey, let's celebrate and focus this whole concept around Tanzanian culture. So we brewed this 100% millet beer, aged it in barrels, brewed it with Tanzanian honey. And we, for the last month, we've been aging it on Tanzanian vanilla beans as well. And it's this really cool, uh, big, malty aroma bunch of vanilla. But because of the nature of millet, it's it's very dry too and it's got millet, this really free millet yeah so millet is gluten-free so the malt house we got it from uh is kind of their primary customer is the the gluten-free brewer got so it. it's a little weird when i was talking to them like well this is what you i'm like i don't this is not going to be gluten-free like <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> but like we don't have the capabilities to say this is gluten-free right so we we were doing it for another reason um okay. so it's this very dry full flavored beer and we just carved it up uh, yesterday and we gave it like a really you know higher carb level to let the body and malt shine and you know, push the boundaries a little bit but really cool beer celebrating culture but also experimenting with unique uh, grains and wow, you know that's awesome. taking a risk yeah very cool wow well today we're off to a great start we're going to take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This week, we're closing out our 2023 season. We'll be back in January 2024 for our 15th year of Beer Sessions Radio and the 15th anniversary of heritageradionetwork.org. Support us and become a member, heritageradionetwork.org. So we're doing the follow-up to... Earlier this year, we were at Navari Res in Portland, Maine for the Craft Malt Conference, and the beer list was unbelievable. It was all, all New England breweries that, that used uh, regional malt, and uh, Joel from Blue Ox Malt was a big part of that. So, Joel, thanks very much for, for, for joining me today, and a shout-out to Emily Hudo at Ragcraft Beer, a great beer PR person who helped coordinate the show today. Um, Joel, but back to the beers at, at Navari Res that day. Um, we went through a couple of them, but um, I know that you, you made a beer with Northwoods, and, and unfortunately, Jeff at Northwoods is way up in the North Country, 
and um, the internet ain't working today. So um, tell us about that beer you guys made, Northwoods, Blue Ox, Ox on Ice, the Dunkel Lager, yeah. and what, uh, what your nice. malt contribution was as well. So, um, Well, as far as I, you know, so the, the Ox on Ice was a, a Dunkel Lager um, and was definitely one of uh, my go-to beers that weekend of the craft malt conference um just as you know uh that that you know i'm a i'm a lager malt kind of guy and it's it's nice to just have that kind of uh bread character the dark smoky kind of sweet crusty character i kind of think like graham cracker is kind of like a s'more lager it's not really s'more but uh, you know it's not not so much like the coffee chocolate, but a little, a little chocolate, but not so much the coffee. But you get that in a nice crisp, crisp like lager. It's it's great. Um, so our our malt contribution to that, I believe, was our Yankee Pilsner and our Dark Munich. Um, I think that was the entire grain bill of of what went into um, what went into that beer. Um, so it, it, the beer really did highlight, you know, the, the, the kind of like, you know, bready character, um, of our malts and, and the kind of toasted bread crust, um, and caramelly notes of our dark Munich, which are two of my favorite malts. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that when I got there, that was, that was what jumped out at me seeing a Dunkel Lager made with uh, regional malts. And I, I remember I had a, f a few of those. Um, you guys, Brewers, Todd and Tyler, just, I mean, I'm I'm an amateur, but I drink a lot. Um, what, what's the difference when you make a, a Dunkel Lager instead of a lager? And, and, and guys, we're talking about lagers. This is really a lager show because everyone's talking about how, how much people drink lagers. And I like lagers too, but I like some lagers with color. Um, Dunkel Lagers, Todd and Tyler. Well, so we have a Tamave Leja, which is a dark Czech style lager, and it's it's an it's an amber beer. It's not a it's not a stout. It's not a black beer, but it has so much character, and it's four point eight by volume. You can drink this. I call it my Coca Cola, because you can drink uh -huh. this in the form of water. It's just beautiful the schwarzbier is a little different it's got a little more body to it a little more roast character but the roast character is like subdued it's not again it's not like a stout and uh um tyler was talking about the roast beer and man that's such a cool beer style that not nobody makes but they call it an amber lager <laughs> yeah when if because if you call it a roast beer they're like what the hell's a rut beer, you know? And uh, so, you know, the, the the cool thing about the dark lagers are that they just have so much more character to them. And, and again, it, it, all these beers take time. And that's what I love about the craft brewers is they take the time. Um, you know, all the guys making these hazy New Englands, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about them, but I just, I just find them to be just very short-sighted. They, they tend to go in and come out in, you know, 14 days. And, and I always, and, you know, I've, I've got my degree in ceramics and it's all about time and temperature and recipe formulation, and chemistry and, 
um, and a little bit of magic. And when you make beer, it's really about letting the natural uh, kind of uh, rhythm do its thing. And lockers take time. That's all there is to it. And the longer you let them sit, the better they get. Man, the triglycerides, triglycerides break down and the beer just becomes this beautiful, velvety love fest. And, you know, the, I think the dark lagers are just that, you know, point, point in point. It's just, it's such a beautiful beer style that not a lot of people make. And, uh, you know, Tyler, uh, take it from there. Yeah, I mean, to me, the the Dunkel is just like the the perfect beer for the malt lover. Um, you know, the, the the lager yeast is doing its job. It's it's fermenting, you know, the sugars. It's creating the ethanol. It's creating all kinds of other flavors. But for the most part, it's getting out of the way. So if if you want a beer that's it's drinkable and full of flavor, but just not a slap in the face of flavor, um, you know, the the Dunkel Lager is the perfect beer to just showcase wonderful malt. You're you're focusing on really letting it kind of shine. And I, I, like Todd was saying with the uh, New England IPAs and stuff or hazy, juicy IPAs, like, I don't know, I, the, the analogy I've been making over the years is like, um, it, it, flavor-wise, it's, it's like being, you know, absolutely just belted in the face with flavor. <laughs> and it's big, it's sweet. Um, it, but you know, there's something to be said for traditional beer styles and why they've been around for so long and lighter, uh, easygoing beers is it's, it's nuance. It's, it's that gentle caressing touch and it's not the, uh, like being, you know, forehanded across the face. It's, That's... it's much more delicate and it's still full of flavor, but it's, it's drinkable and it's, yeah, it's got plenty of character. Um, so yeah, we, we do a, a Dunkel as well with, um, uh, Blue Ox's, uh, Yankee Pilsner and their dark Munich and man, that's a wonderful beer. I, we look forward to brewing it every year and it's definitely one of the staff favorites because, you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing like a clean Dunkel lager where you can just celebrate mall character. And then for you guys, Todd and Tyler, why should I go into your tap rooms and, and drink the beer on draft instead of just buying cans somewhere? My Oh, For me, my go-to is when I go to Novari Res, I know I'm going to have great beers on draft, the selection, the styles, but it's also the mouthfeel. It's like the beer tastes better when I'm in a good pub or tap house. So, you know, when you put beer in a can, you're taking a chance. A, the can is clean. B, it's been purged correctly. C, it's been sealed, seamed correctly. Mm -hmm. And Draft beer, God, it's literally, it goes from the bright tank into the keg and, you know, and then it's kept cold. You never know where your cans go. You know, sometimes they store them warm. Sometimes they store them cold. We've always set a precedent. We would love our cans to be kept cold. But, you know, a bunch of these places, they've got so much beer that, you know, they can't keep everyone cold. And so, you know, sometimes they end up on the floor and, uh, you know, I just, I just, I've always found draft beer to be really superior to any product, uh, the, uh, unless it's bottle conditioned. And then, you know, bottle condition has a, just a, a beautiful liveliness to it. It's incredible. But we, we just, 
when you come here, there's always going to be a fairly good selection of ales and lagers ranging from lightest to darkest. And, uh, you know, you never, you just got to take a chance on your draft. We, we got to come up and do a yeah. session when you, when you launch that new beer. What was the beer you, you were, you were talking about? That's coming out in four. The Vienna. The Vienna. Vienna. We got to come up yeah. for that. It's four to six weeks, and I'll definitely key in into it because he's going to be the first one to drink it. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and then while I get you, Todd, before we go back to Ian, Todd, uh, you know, you, we, we've talked before about your, your, your mop, the lesser, but just f- from you, the, you know, the, the maker, that recipe, what is it? What's, what's mop, the lesser? And are you using any, any uh, Blue Ox malts in that? <laughs> Name a malt and it's in that beer. All you have to do is name one and it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's a plethora of malts and it's a kind of ridiculous. Um, I think there's something like sixteen different malts in it. <laughs> we have um, a, we have a beer that people call uh, Dr Pepper because they joke there's twenty seven different flavors. Twenty seven. <laughs> exactly. So sixteen malts. I mean, I know you've done it for a long time, Todd, but. Really, you, it, it took 16 malts to get that flavor. Well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you can use a, a whole lot less, but you won't get the dimension that you get off Moth Lesser. Um, we had we had a, uh, a lactic incursion in one of our barrels uh, that we didn't really notice until after it was packaged. So all the Moth that is out there right now has been recalled. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the barrels just went south on us. And mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, but Mott is a, it's, you know, it's an imperial stout. It's just big, burly. Um, the batch we have in now, which will come out in April, has, uh, I think it starts at 26 degrees Play-Doh and goes to seven. So, you know. It's That's just, a big it, beer. It's huge. It's ten and a half percent by volume. I, I, I have Mott the I have Mott the Lesser that I got the time I interviewed Woody. It might have been a year ago. Yeah. yeah so it's probably from two years ago. Um that was pretty great. And then Ian for you, uh sorry one sec. Just you know, I want to get Ian in here again. So you you've brewed with Todd. Um name one or two of the malts. We don't want to blow the whole recipe, but it's gotta be one or two that you you're proud of that's in that beer. <laughs> Uh, see how to answer this one. <laughs> I was like, do I name the malts you can't find anymore, or yeah. the malts from us? Uh, you know, for have a good backbone, um, like a pale ale malt that's going to have all of the enzymatic power you need, all of the um, conversion to just really carry the rest of everything along. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize, a lot of consumers don't realize that even when you have a dark beer, pale malts are often the backbone of those beers. And all of the rest of that color and flavor are coming from a handful of specialty malts. And I think the base malts get overlooked oftentimes in those big beers. Right. Yeah, one of my malt men- or one of my mentors back in the day used to kind of teach me when it came to recipe development or just malt flavor is just, you know, the idea of layering malts and, you know, layering flavors. So you might use a little bit of a lighter crystal to 
uh, get those toffee notes or something, but then you might go to a, a medium or darker crystal to get those deeper raisin notes. And, you know, you can get such beautiful bouquet of, of malt flavors when you, when you layer these malts and you use a little bit of this or more of that and getting the balance right and including some chocolate or maybe some pale chocolate or, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, getting, getting color and flavor without the acrid bitterness too. Yeah. I mean, it's like every, every, uh, choice on the spectrum of malt flavor is considered and it's like, Oh yeah, you definitely want some roasted barley in the stout or something, but you know, maybe you'll, yeah, maybe you'll split it a little bit. If you, if it's a lighter stout, maybe you'll split it a little bit with some carafa and that way you can kind of ease the, the end, you know, tannic bitterness or something that, you know, there's all, every end of the spectrum you're making a decision and i think at the end of the day when it comes to uh brewing or just general beer styles or just coming up with a new concept every brewer has to be able to envision what that finished beer tastes like you know before it's even created because you have to have a goal in mind and that and you have to make your decisions around designing that recipe with that goal in mind so that you can achieve that flavor profile that you want to get right no you know, Tyler, to your credit, um, it might have been two falls ago. I was sitting in the tap room in, at uh, the original tap room in Cambridge where your brewery is. And I think you yeah. had your fresh hop beer out and I had it on draft. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of my favorite beers of the, of the fall. Yeah. What's your malt makeup on that? Yeah, that's a that's a fun beer to make. Uh, we we kind of we call it a harvest ale. Um Malt wise, it's sort of like uh, what you would do for a Vienna lager almost. Um, it's it's biscuity, it's malty, it's it's a little toasted, it's a little bit of uh, uh, caramel flavor as well to give it a little body. Which you uh, you know what we're going for there is a uh, celebration of not only malt flavor but these this fresh hop flavor as well. Um, it's it's kind of like a, a slightly maltier pale ale in a way. Um, but yeah, malt wise, it's, it's blue ox malt. It's, uh, I can look up the recipe right now, but, um, it's, it's definitely something that we love to brew every year. It's a little confusing for the consumer. Cause it's like, what is a harvest ale, you know? Um, but it's, uh, it's a bunch of Yankee pills, some Vienna, uh, some light, some of their light Munich, and then a touch of just different caramel malts here and there. And, you know, uh, we hop it uh, in the kettle to get the kind of you know uh, balance right uh, with the malt profile that we're going for, and then we hit it with uh, an absurd amount of wet hops from Four Star Farms in Massachusetts. And it's always a fun beer to make because you know it, in years past what we would do is you know Simon, our uh, head brewer uh, back in the day, would uh, mash in. I'd get in the van, drive out. And by the time he was ready to go into the whirlpool, I'd be coming back with just 400 pounds of wet hops. And you know, it's, <laughs> okay. it's fun for everybody. Well, it, Sounds familiar. The, yeah. The, the surprise, I guess, which was most welcome to be here is Todd. And, uh, it's, oh, it's yeah. really great. This, this lineup is great. Joel, um, just to, to recap the show, it was Craft Malt Conference. We've been in the works for a few years. We're in Portland, Maine. Um, what did it take for, for you and your team to, to line up all those beers? Um, I know that Navari Res was, was on board. Because you even had, yeah. there was a beer from, 
Maine Brewing, Maine beer. There was a, a Bissell beer. There yeah. was an Allagash beer. Well, you know, I think one, you know, at the Craft Brewers Conference, um, I did a presentation with um, Jacob Buck at, uh, from, Maine, from Maine Malt House. And, you know, the purpose of that session was to talk about um, what's different, like what's happening in Maine, like, you know, why, how have we been able to um, do craft malt here? And um, I think, you know, with, with Lamplighter being an exception, a lot of these breweries um, that were on, on tap were from Maine. Oh, and of course, <laughs> I was talking about uh, Northwoods, you know, so what I, I think, what I think we have here in the Northeast um, is a really amazing supportive brewing community that gets the importance of of utilizing shorter um more local supply chains and supporting their farmers and their communities and that's kind of backing into the answer which is how are we able to do this we're able to do this because you know, um, we we work with over 100 breweries, over 120 breweries every year. Um, the majority of those are in the Northeast. Um, you know, we've worked in one way or another with all of the breweries on this list. So they're all excited about craft malt. They're all excited about supporting farming in their community, about supporting their community it it wasn't it wasn't as difficult as you might think to get people excited to to do an event like this where they can really highlight the products that they're going to make with local ingredients so um you know i i think you know there was as far as my team pulling it together certainly you know we're we're month, you know, months ahead. So we certainly were reaching out in the, uh, in the fall leading up to it, trying to get this on people's radar, make sure people know, but, but saying yes and getting people excited about putting something out for this event wasn't, wasn't the difficult part. We just had to, um, we just had to show up and let them know about it. And it just had helped that you had Navari res right downtown. So um, yeah, me, that, that was my dream. That was my dream beer day. That was the best beer list of the year. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to, Ian, do you want to say anything else about the dream beer list before I ask, get into the trenches with Todd and Tyler to close it out? Uh, no, I think this is a great looking list. It's always um, great when you see a beer list that has different styles from different regions and isn't just uh, all loaded out with one kind of beer. Uh, you know, I'm seeing German beers, Belgian beers, English beers, American beers on this list, and that's just fantastic. And there's two we didn't mention. Um, the the Norway, they had an old-time smokehouse, but where's Norway Brewing? So Norway Brewing is in western Maine, and uh, they used our smoked malt for that. And uh, Charlie's doing a great job over there. It gets really creative. Uh big uh, fan of local ingredients and is doing some really interesting stuff over there. And Bellflower did the, um, the Vienna lager, the weather break. Where's Bellflower? 
So Bellflower is right in downtown Portland. That's great. That, that, that was a really great way to introduce uh, all the attendees uh, to so many of these great breweries. So thank you. Let's close it out with the trenches. So before when we were waiting to, to, to get on the recording, Todd and Tyler, you guys talked about your brew days. <laughs> Let's just uh, g- give us a glimpse. What, what was the catastrophe for you today, Todd, and for you, Tyler, which is part <laughs> of the normal brew day, I'm sure. Well, you know, normal brew day, you start at a certain time and you expect you're going to be done six and a half to eight hours, depending on the, the what style you're brewing. And uh, we started mashing in at about 8.30 and uh, our grist hydrator backed up on us. And we have two drops uh, for our grist hydrator. And the first one backed up. The second one just started filling this bucket that we put behind it just to, you know, in case it overflows. And uh, we just shut down and uh, and figured out what was going on. And we think the grist hydrator had been a little bit wet and the, the grain bound up in it and then backed up into the, uh, the auger. And, uh, it, you know, it took 10 minutes to clean up and uh, there was a bunch of spent grain all over the place and uh or not spent grain it was fresh grain but uh you know shit happens and you mm-hmm. uh move, you move forward all right and tyler you had an, another issue with the drains huh yeah i mean every week it's there's always something that's going to surprise you you know you could brewing is one of those things where you could go into it thinking it's going to be smooth sailing but whether it's a pump failing here or something like that there's always going to be something that kind of you know Makes your day exciting. Rose a um, curveball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But today it was uh, our trench drain uh, got backed up. Uh, something must have fallen down there, and we didn't have the trap in. And uh, you know, so all of a sudden, like it starts overflowing, and we just have to kind of stop. Uh, you know, make sure we uh, get at it and clear that blockage, and you know, get really dirty in the process. Um, <laughs> That and like a couple hours later, uh, uh, Simon, found the, the boiler wasn't kicking on and uh, uh, <laughs> did some electrical inspection and realized that the pilot light wire had been uh, cooked. And so we had to replace the pilot light on the boiler. And it, it, brewing's it, it's crazy. Like, you know, you, you meet people from all different backgrounds in this industry. And it's it's very much like, yeah, you're, you're a part-time chemist, plumber, electrician. You, got, you just got to be able to put on whatever has necessary for the day. Yeah. Well, th- thanks, guys. I really want to thank you guys so much. Um, Joel, Ian, Todd, and Tyler, thanks so much for joining me. Shout out to Jeff from Northwoods who couldn't get online. And big thank you to Emily at Ragcraft Beer for helping to put the show together. Once again, my favorite beer list of 2023 was the Blue Ox Malt Regional Craft Malt Beers at Navari Res last March 2023. So. Great job, guys, and thanks to Armin Spengen, our engineer. This is our final show of 2023. Happy holidays, and I want to say this is the way to end the year. We're talking about great beers made with regional malts, styles that I love to drink. And I'm going to throw in that night at Navari Res, there was also Sacred Profane had one of their Czech block black lagers on. So uh, I was in I was in Portland for three days, and I was at Navari Res for three days in a row. So that was pretty good. And then we got a lot more shows coming up. In, uh, 2024 about things like I was in Copenhagen 
We did three shows in Copenhagen. One of them is a kind of food waste brewer who was going to tell you uh, things about equipment and brewing with barley and other things. We've got some cool shows coming up. Big thanks again. This was our 14th year. We'll be back January 2024 in our 15th year on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks so much, guys. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on 14 years. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.